Please turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. We'll be looking at verses 47 through 62 this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You are also one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with him. For he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, Lord, we would see Jesus. By your Spirit's power, give us eyes to see his glory. And through Christ we pray. Amen. Well, you may have noticed this morning that uh, my family is not with us. We are uh, experiencing some sickness right now. A couple of our kids had 102 degree fevers last night. Stephanie was not feeling great either. So it is just Elliot and I this morning. Uh, We would appreciate your prayers seems like things are getting better, Um, but for the sake of your children, we decided not to bring our children here this morning. As we look at Luke chapter 22, verses 40 through 62 this morning, let's get up to speed on where we are in terms of the life of Jesus. As you remember, over the last several weeks, uh, we've been looking at the last week of Jesus' life, the Passion Week. At this point, 
Jesus has celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples. He has predicted Peter's denial. They have gone out into the garden where he has prayed. He prayed his prayer, uh, not my will, but your will be done. And as he comes back, he finds his disciples asleep. And he says, get up, arise, here comes my betrayer. So at this point, Jesus is finished praying. And Jesus, with his group of disciples, you can imagine the scene here, as Jesus is leading his group of disciples, uh, a man, Judas, one of the twelve, comes with his group of soldiers. And they're brandishing swords and clubs. And you can imagine uh, the scene in your head that Jesus and his posse with Judas and his posse, and they converge together. Judas comes up to Jesus and he kisses him. At that point, Peter brandishes his sword and he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us that it is Peter, but we know from other Gospels that he is the one. Jesus then rebukes Peter. He heals the man's ear and Jesus is led away to the house of the high priest. At this point, the other Gospels tell us that the disciples scatter. They flee. Except for Peter and for John. Peter and John follow at a distance. John, as we know from other, uh, from other Gospels, he knows people in high places, and he is able to get into the house of the high priest where Jesus is being held. Peter does not, and he is out in the courtyard. He is warming himself by the fire. People there recognize him and accuse him of being with Jesus. First, a woman accuses him and he says, I don't know what you're talking about. A little while later, a second person accuses him. He also denies it. And finally, about an hour later, a man accuses him and he says, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Exactly what Jesus had told him would happen, happened. And at that point, the rooster crows and Peter's life is over. He looks over at Jesus. Jesus looks at him. You can't imagine the look on Jesus' face at that point. The look of, of just pain. Knowing what Peter had just done. And Peter, not able to handle it, he goes out. And as Luke tells us, he weeps bitterly. He went out and wept bitterly. Now one of the things that we need to remember here as we're reading this account of Peter's denial, we need to remember how we have this account. And this is going to play out later as uh, we look more deeply into Peter's denial. Uh, why do we even have this account of Peter's denial? Uh, in a sense, who was around to be able to hear this? None of the other disciples were there. Jesus uh, was in the house of the high priest. Uh, Luke, the writer here, wasn't there. Um, how do we have this account? 
Well, the reason that we have this account of Peter's denial is that after the fact, after this had happened, he was willing to admit it. We have this account of Peter's denial because he told people about it. That's the only way that we know that Peter actually did this. It's because Peter himself told others. This is really important and it's going to come into play later on as we talk about the significance of Peter's denial. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at the, two, uh, the tale of two Peters. That is our, our sermon title this morning. And we're going to look at Peter pre-denial briefly and we're going to look at him post-denial and examine the differences between So if you were to take Peter before the denial, you would probably describe him as someone who is self-righteous. And honestly, rightly so. Because Peter was pretty significant. He was one of those inner circle of the disciples. One of the three, you know, Peter, James, and John. One of those special ones. He had his name changed by Jesus. When he confessed Jesus as the Christ, Jesus told him, you will no longer be called Simon, but now you will be called Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. He was selected to be a witness to very special events uh, in the life of Jesus. The transfiguration being one of them. Uh, He was chosen to come a little further on in the garden to pray with Jesus. He confessed Jesus as the Christ. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He defended Jesus at his arrest. What of the other disciples did that? Peter was one of the two men in all of history, the other being Jesus, who has ever walked on water. How amazing is that? So Peter himself was pretty significant. He had every right to think of himself as something or as somebody. And I'm sure that he struggled with a sense of self-righteousness. I'm sure he struggled with a sense of, you know, I'm, I'm not so bad. I'm a pretty significant guy. All these things that we have described about Peter, they were pegs for him to, to hang his hat on. They were like feathers in his cap. These are things in which he could trust. These very significant things in his life. But as soon as that rooster crowed, and Peter looked into the face of Jesus, all of that, all of that significance was emphatically wiped away. After the denial, I would consider Peter as uh, describe him as someone who was devastated or decimated. After Peter denied Christ three times, uh, Luke tells us that he went out and he wept bitterly. I mean, can you imagine the devastation that Peter must have felt at that point? Seeing the look on Jesus' face, knowing that Jesus knew what he had just done. 
And what makes matters worse, think of what happened in the life of Peter. That he, at that point, wasn't able to apologize to Jesus. He wasn't able, at that point, to make things right. Because shortly after that, Jesus was crucified and he died. This was the last interaction that Peter and Jesus had before Jesus' death. Can you imagine the amount of regret that Peter must have felt as he was watching Jesus die, knowing that he was being crucified? You know that feeling when someone close to you dies. And when that happens, um, if you're not able to, in a sense, make up with them, if you're not able to tell them things that you wish that you could have told them, you're left with this deep sense of regret, of this what if. This is the feeling that Peter is having when Jesus is dying. Talk about guilt and shame and regret. I cannot imagine the weight that Peter must have felt on his soul. I'm sure it was crushing. But you cannot tell the story of Peter's denial without telling what happened afterwards. Because the story of Peter's denial is incomplete without what happens after Jesus' resurrection. Because Peter didn't stay devastated. He didn't stay decimated. The weight on his soul was removed, and it was removed by Christ. We have this story in John chapter 21 after Jesus' resurrection. The disciples go back to doing what they were doing. Peter and some of his, uh, his friends go back to fishing. And one, one day they have this encounter with Jesus where they didn't catch any fish and Jesus tells them to go out again. They had this miraculous catch of fish and they realize that the person there on the shore was Jesus. So they share a meal with Jesus that morning and as they're sitting around this campfire, Jesus and Peter have this conversation and we have it recorded in John chapter 21. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. It's no coincidence that Jesus asks him this question three times. In his denial, the condition of his heart, of Peter's heart, was painfully exposed. But Jesus took all of Peter's guilt. He took all of his shame, all of his regret, the entire weight of his sin that was crushing his soul, and he nailed it to the cross so that as the song goes, so that Peter bore it no more. So there on the beach, 
around that campfire, Jesus reinstates Peter. And at this point, Peter's life is never the same. At this point, from this point forward, Peter's life changes dramatically. We have record of, of Peter's, uh, some of Peter's miracles and the things that he did uh, after the resurrection in the book of Acts, how he was chosen to give the sermon on Pentecost, uh, how he healed others, um, uh, amazing things that God did through Peter. But in some ways, he is still the same old Peter. He still gets himself into trouble. Uh, he's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, if you remember reading in Galatians 2, where Paul says that he basically had to dress Peter down uh, because of what he was doing with the Jews and the Gentiles. And uh, he said, uh, Paul says that I opposed him to his face. Peter still struggled, but there was a power that was in him now, a power that came from the Holy Spirit, a power that came from the freedom that he experienced from his being broken and then being restored. There's a boldness in him to, to proclaim the mercy of Christ that he has experienced. Peter ends up eventually being imprisoned for the sake of the Gospel, and eventually he is martyred for his faith in Christ. And when he is martyred, uh, um, tradition has it where he was actually hung upside down on the cross because he did not want to be crucified in the same manner as his Lord and Savior, Jesus. So Peter is a man who goes from denying that he actually knows who Jesus is to a man who is martyred because of his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What? transformation in his life. So this morning, I'm going to make the argument that the denial was one of the best things that could have happened in Peter's life. The denial was one of the best things that could have happened to Peter in his life. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Because the exposure of his sinful heart allowed him the ability to stop trusting in himself and to start trusting fully on Christ. Because prior to the denial, he had his record. Those things that he could hang his cap on. But after the denial, all of those were completely wiped out. He had nothing to hold on to except for Christ. And having his sin exposed led to a tremendous amount of freedom. A tremendous amount of freedom. You know, we operate with a fear of being seen. And what we do is we project a sense uh, to others that we are actually better than we are. And we do that because we're afraid of what people will think of us. We have a fear of people seeing us as we really are because we're afraid that if people see us as we really are, they may walk away from us being unimpressed. We have a fear of people seeing us for who we are because they might see us and think that we're not worth their time. Or worse, they might be turned off by the real us. And so we project ourselves to be better than we actually are. We, we live in such a way where we cover up ourselves and we project 
images of who we are, but uh, what we're not in reality. And we spend our time lying and cover up and be, covering up and being fake. And it's exhausting. But we want to project ourselves as better than we really are. You know, this past week uh, in Arkansas, it was Super Tuesday. Uh, not only here in Arkansas, but in uh, several states around the country. Uh, they were voting in the presidential primaries uh, to vote for candidates for, for the office of a president, uh, of the president. And so um, I saw this uh, video clip on Facebook that someone had posted. It was from Jimmy Kimmel. He is one of those late night uh, TV talk show hosts. And um, he had done this bit on his show. It's called Lie Witness News. And they pulled some people in California on camera. They went up to them on the street and asked them who they voted for that day. The problem was, California didn't have a primary. So it was impossible for these people to actually vote. But when you watch the clip, you'll see that didn't prevent them from telling the, the camera who they actually voted for on that day. They would say, oh, I voted for Hillary. Or, oh, I voted for Bernie. And one guy even said, uh, do you want me to be honest with you? <laughs> I voted for Trump. <laughs> That's not being honest. You couldn't have voted. Uh, it was amazing to see uh, that people were willing to lie about uh, their voting. Uh, the, the reporter on camera pressed them a little further. They asked to, to, to describe the polling place. And they would say, oh, I, it was really busy. People were all around. They were talking about the candidates, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> it was amazing to hear people describe these uh, experiences that obviously they had not had. Um, and the reporter pushed it even farther and uh, said at one point, um, so I heard they started charging people uh, this year to vote. How much were you charged in order to vote? <laughs> and one guy says, oh, I was charged $10. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, uh, honestly, it is, it is funny. But the reason that they were doing this is they wanted to project a sense that they were better than they actually are, that they were good, upstanding citizens, that they had done their duty, and that they had voted. Um, but lying is exhausting. You could see when they were asked these certain questions, at some point they really were struggling to come up with an answer, because it's uh, it's more difficult to lie and to come up with, with things, but it's a lot easier to tell the truth. And there is freedom in telling the truth. You don't have to think about what you should be saying or if this makes sense. You can simply state it as it is. You can simply be yourself. When you have your guilt and your shame covered by the blood of Christ, what do you have to fear when it comes to the opinions of other people? Who cares if others see your real self? Because the truth of the Gospel is this, that God has seen that real self and He has responded with mercy and with grace and with love. And there is a tremendous amount of freedom when we know and understand that mercy and grace and the love of God. 
Having your sin exposed also leads to power over sin. Because whenever sin is brought into the light, the power that darkness has over it is lost. You know, sin best survives in secret when it is hidden, but when it is exposed, when it comes into the light, it dies. The power that it has dies. Finally, having sin exposed also leads to a greater sense of community, a depth of relationship. You know, when we confess our sins not only to God, but when we're also able to do it to one another, there's this great moment that happens. Now, we may not struggle with the same sins, and we may be confessing, confessing different sins to each other, but we have this great moment when we can say to each other, you struggle? Me too. And it's amazing that sense of, uh, of bonding together, that being able to say, me too, does. We are bound to one another through our struggles, but not just through our struggles, through the victory that we have through Christ. So as we look at Peter's denial this morning and realize that it was one of the best things that could have happened to him, this is the truth that kept coming to me during this week. And it's this. The degree to which you are willing to expose your sin and the degree you are willing to confess it to God and to others is the degree to which you understand the gospel and the degree to which you trust in Christ as your Savior. Now, I was sharing that with my wife this past week, and she said, that's confusing. You need to simplify that. And I I get that. So that is a little confusing. But here's the deal. If you want to know how much a person truly believes the gospel, watch how they confess their sins. Because if we are willing to confess our sins, that shows that we truly believe the gospel. And the gospel that Jesus Christ, by His death on the cross, has taken the punishment for our sins, and we bear that no more. The punishment for our sins was placed on Christ, and instead we get His life. So if we truly believe the gospel, we would be willing to repent of our sins, not only to God, but also to to each other as well. There was an advertisement for a company uh, a few years ago. Uh, this company is called LifeLock. I don't, they may be around still. I don't know if they're around anymore or not. But this advertisement that I saw really stuck with me. Uh, they had it on their website, and it was also uh, a TV commercial as well. And LifeLock is a company that Uh, guarantees to protect your personal information from identity theft. And so you you sign up and, and, you know, they they monitor things and they're able to protect your your personal information so you don't have your identity stolen. Well, this man believed so much in his product that he was willing to post his social security number on the web and in this TV commercial. So he was willing to do it publicly. And um, because he believed so much in his product. 
Well, unfortunately, it didn't work out too well for, for him because he had his identity stolen 13 times. 13 times. But he believed so much in his product that he was willing to put his social security number out there because he believed that their product could keep it secure. Unfortunately, that was not the case. If we truly believe in the truth of the gospel, we will be willing and able to confess our sins. This next part is going to be a little bit difficult for me. Because as I was looking at it this week, uh, God kept bringing something to mind. Uh, a, a struggle that I've had in my life. And before I shared it with you, I, I talked to my wife. And I talked to a couple other people about if this was a good idea to share this or not. And uh, they gave me the green light. So... Um, I decided it was good for me to share this with you. And um, it's going, uh, I know when Dan Anderson was here a couple of weeks ago, um, he shared about his struggle with the issue of pornography. Um, a majority of men struggle with pornography, and your pastor included. And the reason that I bring it up now um, in a mixed audience and also in an audience of mixed ages is because as I was looking at this, um, Stephanie and I were looking at some of the statistics on pornography, uh, it turns out that the average age of a boy to be exposed to internet pornography is 11. It's 11. And that's the average. So that means there are some younger than age 11 who are being exposed to this. Not only that, by the time uh, young men reach the age of 18, 90% of them have been exposed to some sort uh, of pornography, internet pornography. Uh, one of the studies that was, that was being done, um, they wanted to find men in their mid-20s uh, who had uh, not ever been exposed to uh, pornography. It turns out they couldn't find any. They couldn't find any. So my struggle uh, started uh, uh, at an early age. I was about average, I would say. And throughout my life, I, I struggled to varying degrees. Um, but it was something that I always uh, had a tremendous amount of guilt over, uh, of regret, and of shame. And I did whatever I could to hide it from everyone. I would lie. I would cover my tracks. Um, do whatever I could to keep it hidden. I was hoping that marriage would cure me, but it didn't because the issue was deeper than that. Then one day, it happened. My wife found out about my secret sin, and that which I had tried so hard to keep hidden was hidden no more. And I cannot tell you the amount of shame that I felt, the amount of regret, knowing the amount of hurt that I had caused her and the hurt that I had caused myself as well. 
And at that point, <clears throat> I uh, sought immediate help. I got some counseling from a local Christian counselor. Uh, a buddy of mine uh, uh, became my accountability partner. I put software on my computer. I sold an electronic device that I just uh, didn't need uh, the, for the temptation. And I can tell you today that the struggle has subsided. But before, I thought I was strong enough to resist. I thought I could handle it, that I could control it. <clears throat> what I didn't realize is that it was controlling me. Now, I don't have any doubts in regards to my weakness. I know that I am not strong enough to handle the temptation. But the reason that I'm able to talk about it now is because I know that the shame and the guilt of that struggle has been nailed to the cross and that I bear it no more because of Jesus. And I'm not going to be so arrogant as to say that, oh, this is not something that I'll ever struggle with again. Um, to say that would be <clears throat> uh, to not understand my own sin nature. I mean, Peter still struggled after he was reinstated by Jesus. But when my sin was hidden, it had a power over me. It had a, a control over me. I was in bondage to it. But when it came out, although it was devastating, it was healing because I could deal with my sin properly. <clears throat> I could confess it to God and have myself being washed with the blood of Christ. Now one of the, the, the benefits that I have from that is that I can talk openly and honestly with other men about pornography. Um, in our Tuesday morning CLC group that started up a while ago, um, where we had a couple of years together on Tuesday mornings, um, the, the first event that we shared together was an overnight where we would share our life stories. And being one of the leaders of the group, um, I had the opportunity to go first. And um, I felt that it was necessary for me to, to be honest and share this struggle with these men uh, to kind of set the tone for what would follow. And from that point forward, we, have, we experienced other men who were sharing the honest struggles of their hearts, who were sharing uh, things like, well, I've never told anyone else this before, but and sharing things that they were struggling with. It led to um, just a, a bond in that group of men where we uh, were able to understand each other as, as we share in our struggles with one another. <clears throat> the more that we keep our sins and struggles hidden, the more power we give to that sin and the less we bring the light of the gospel to bear, and the less we see the mercy and the grace of God. So as we move forward with this, as we seek to apply this to our lives, um, one of the things that we have to do is that we have to remember the good news of the gospel. And this is the good news of the gospel. The gospel is the message that we are more wicked than we ever dared to believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ 
than we ever dared hope. You know, if you call yourself a Christian, you are saying that you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins. And not just some of your sins, but all of your sins. Not just the sins that we can talk about publicly that are uh, acceptable, but the sins that we keep hidden, that we don't want other people to know about. Jesus has taken all of them. He has taken all of them and He has nailed them to the cross. He has taken the punishment for all of our sins. And because of what Christ has done, we have the privilege of confessing those sins to God because He forgives every last one of them. And He wipes them clean with the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. So we need to remember the good news of the Gospel. And we need to be willing to confess our sins to God and to one another. This means that if we truly believe the Gospel, then brothers and sisters in Christ can talk openly about their sins and their struggles with one another. Now, we may not have the exact same sins and struggles, but we all have them. And we can say to each other, you know what? You struggle with that? Me too. Me too. So I'm going to advocate for two things this morning. That we as a body would believe the gospel to the degree that we would be willing to confess our sins even to one another. Now, I'm not advocating for us to next week have a microphone up front here and have everybody come forward and start confessing their sins to one another. I don't think that that would be healthy. But what I am advocating for is this, is that you are able to speak honestly with people who are close to you. If you would like to come and talk to me about struggles that you have in your life, I am here. Um, In your MCG groups, in your men's and women's Bible study, in your Titus 2 groups, with your shepherding elder, or if there's just another person in the church that you feel like you can trust, who you can relate to, who you're comfortable with, I would advocate that we would believe the gospel to the degree that we would be willing and able to confess our sins to one another. But the second thing is this, that we as a body would believe the gospel to the degree that we would be willing not to judge a person who is willing to honestly confess our sins. You know, we see it a lot when a a Christian leader or a pastor um, falls because of some sin. And it's shocking. But in reality, and we've said this before, is that sin should not surprise us because we know the conditions of our own heart. We know the sinfulness that is there. and We shouldn't be surprised. We should be disappointed and we should be devastated by it. We should be frustrated. But it shouldn't surprise us. Surprise us. When people are willing to confess their sins to us or to one another, we must not respond to their struggle by saying, oh, how could you? How could you do such a thing? That is judgmental. It is not helpful. And the reason that we shouldn't respond that way is because we all know the condition of our own hearts. That we're all sinners. 
that we are worse sinners than we ever dared to believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared to imagine. So instead of judging one another, we need to show one another grace, the same grace that God shows us in Christ. Which brings us here to the table. You know, when Peter denied Christ, it was right after Jesus had instituted the Lord's Supper. And it was what this Lord's Supper signifies that rescued Peter from his guilt and from his shame and from his sin. The reason that Peter could confess his sins was because of what the Lord's Supper signifies. The reason that we can confess our sins to God and to each other is because of what this meal signifies. That the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken. That His blood was shed for a complete forgiveness of all of our sins. That includes Peter's denial of Him. That includes my struggle with pornography. That includes all of our sins. And by partaking of the sacrament, we are confessing two things. We are confessing that we are sinners who justly deserve God's wrath. We don't come to the table cleaned up. Instead, we come admitting the fact that we are filthy and needing to be covered and washed clean by the blood of Christ. We are also confessing that we believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of sinners and that we receive and rest upon Him alone as He is offered to us in the Gospel. So as we come to the table this morning, we're going to spend some time preparing. If you have been convicted of your hidden sins this morning, and you need to confess that, we are going to spend some time in confession as we approach the supper. If you need to talk to someone about it, I'm here. Come talk to me. It doesn't have to be this morning. It can be. If you want to be sometime this week, you have my contact information. Please come talk to me. If you don't feel comfortable talking to me, or you want to talk to someone else, an elder, uh, someone else in the church, uh, please take the opportunity to do that. Having your personal and your hidden sins and struggles exposed is never easy. But like Peter's denial of Christ, it could be the best thing that ever happened to you.